0: Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel weekly podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Swarson and today I'm joined by Anthony Froggatt, senior research fellow at Chatham House here in London. Welcome Anthony. Thank you very much. And by Chris Eels, editor of France at Montel. Hello Chris. Hello. Thanks very much. It's uh, single denim today, is this it? This is yes. It's, yes, yeah. Yes, it's yes. perfect.
1: Black. Black. Yeah.
0: Black. <laughs> Today we're talking Brexit, and Anthony, you're, you're quite the expert on the matter and how it relates to energy. How do you view uh, what's going on at, at the moment? I mean, obviously we've had the resignation of Theresa May, there's an election for a new leader of the Conservative Party. How is this playing out in terms of Brexit? So
1: as of Thursday morning, we are waiting for the first round of results for the leadership of the Conservative Party. And that is expected to, over the next week, whittle down from 10 down to two candidates. And then we'll have a month of the hustings amongst the membership of the Conservative Party. Indications are that one of those will be Boris Johnson, mm. uh, who is promoting strongly the view that we will leave in October, whatever the whatever happens, that that's his mm. pledge. We've heard those pledges before, obviously, from Conservative leaders, but there seems to be a reinvigoration of that view we'll have to see who is the other candidate. And it may be that the other candidate has a a slightly softer view about whether or not there's an opportunity to extend further if there were no deal. Mm. But it definitely seems to be the case that the likelihood of leaving with no deal is increasing. Mm. And obviously that has implications across a whole range of sectors on the whole of society. But from an energy perspective, I guess there's a number of areas that are of particular Importance. We could come back to that, Anthony. Okay. I think, in,
0: in, in particular detail yeah, okay. about wow, the impact. But who do you think the other candidates are likely to be, and are they going to be going for a more softer Brexit? Do you think? I mean, there's Rory Stewart, isn't there? He's he's more of a. Um...
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's three or four key candidates. Mm. I think what's likely is that what we'll see in the, in the subsequent rounds is obviously reducing quite rapidly the number of candidates, mm. and I think by the end of. Next week, we will probably maybe have four candidates or middle of next week have four candidates that are still in the running. Jeremy Hunt being one, Rab being another, Boris Johnson mm. and possibly the Home Secretary as well. So mm. that sort of combination, but I think moving from... there It's unlikely we will see, I don't think, people like Rory Stewart who mm. were talking about we won't leave under a no deal mm. under any circumstances. Mm. I, I think it's almost certainly he'll get knocked out in the round and by the time this comes out, Mm. he will be out. So Mm. I I think we're much more, in some ways, the view around May's deal Mm. being one end of the discussion with leaving no deal at the other. So Mm. not moving towards more compromise, I get the sense. Mm.
0: And of course, this is eating into valuable time as well in terms of, you know, ironing out parts of the deal or, you know, the parliamentary process as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. One of the concerns that everyone had, even back at starting at the beginning of the year, was the EU institutions have their sort of four year refresh. So obviously we've had the European elections. The parliament is is now reforming. The groups are reforming. But at the same time, the commission uh, has to go through its new elections So That's by
0: the member, isn't it, when they'll be in place?
1: Yes, exactly. So Mm. what will happen is there will be elections for the the head of the commission and then each member state will put forward their commissioners and then these commissioners then put in draft positions by the, the new head of the commission and then you have parliamentary interviews or or Mm. debates with so whoever is being put forward to be the energy commissioner will go before the parliaments and they will have a a discussion with the energy committee of the parliament Mm. and then the parliament as a whole has the right to either reject or accept the commission they can't take off individual commissioners it's it's an all-or-one deal Mm. so anyway as you said that goes on through to november so there is a institutional questions Mm. that are also on the european level that will slow down any future Mm. negotiations around the relationship. But what we've seen again is the Commission this week saying the withdrawal agreement is the only deal on the table. And they're not likely to open up parts of that deal, are they? They've said repeatedly that they won't. Whether or not there is a... If there is a new person in in London, whether or not this significantly changes things. Mm. From my perspective, I don't see any any indication that that's the case at the moment. Mm. But... It's politics. So we sort of have to see what happens going forward.
0: Absolutely. If we can assume then that, you know, there's an increased likelihood of a hard Brexit. So if we turn that to the energy sector, I mean, what does this mean for, for example, the wholesale market and particularly, I think, on on interconnectors,
1: both gas and power? Yeah, I mean, I think the interconnectors obviously are both from a sort of hardware perspective, but also from a regulatory perspective, the connection between the two markets. And so in terms of the electricity interconnectors, I think they are more important from a regulatory perspective because what we're seeing as a process within the EU is a move towards more integration. Mm. And that is in part driven by policies and sort of ideology Mm. in terms of we want to have a more harmonised market across the EU, but also driven by necessity in Mm. terms of As the EU seeks to decarbonise its electricity market, there is a greater percentage of renewable energy that's going onto the grid. In terms of the new capacity from renewables that's going on the grid, that is wind and solar. And that is a variable producer of electricity. So you need to have more flexibility in the grid to enable you to to match both the production and demand uh, Mm. and the wind. Uh, And so therefore, interconnectors are really important to Mm. enable you to move electricity more freely. And that requires regulatory alignment. Mm. And that's sort of what we're seeing within the EU is a move within the management of the interconnectors from a sort of day-ahead market to one Mm. where you have intraday trading. And that's about regulatory alignment. And it's
0: all done implicitly as well. Exactly. Mm. And Mm. so
1: that's the way that we're moving. Mm. And so the question is for the UK, as this process goes ahead, where does it... Mm. engage does mm. it wish to still be part of that train in some ways mm. and if so that has implications in terms of the so-called being a rule taker a rule setter mm. because those rules will be made in brussels mm. they're made by a combination of the commission the parliament ENSOE, mm. and so e and so g in the case of gas but in the case of enso e the uk will remain a member mm. but a less influential member in the case of enso g it won't necessarily because mm. it, is, it is only for member states. Mm. Now, these are independent bodies, so they can change their rules. Mm. But there is this narrative or has been a narrative going around Brussels for the last two years is don't expect a special deal. And look what's
0: happened in Switzerland as yeah. well Yeah. on the Swiss borders. I mean, that's, you know, it's yeah. taken them however many years to even align their emissions trading scheme with that of the European one. So this is not a simple or straightforward or a quick process.
1: Yeah, and the Swiss case is really important from Mm. an electricity market's perspective. In terms of Switzerland geographically in the centre of Europe with lots of hydro capacity and the problems that they've had in terms of integrating into the European market Mm. compared to the UK on the edge of Europe... Mm. I mean, one is much more important for the European electricity market. Mm. And so they've had problems. And that's partly about domestic laws and about Mm. willingness to comply to the acquis, Mm. the the European acquis, But it just indicates that a sector-by-sector approach, which is what the Swiss has, Mm. is problematic. And Mm. again, the case with the Switzerland has been affected by other political situations like the vote on immigration. That stopped all negotiations. So Mm. it's obviously a less sure situation going forward. But as I said, the UK has still even to decide what it wants. I mean, if we go back in terms of what the government had said in the past, in the various white papers and and the Manchin House speech and all these other statements, Mm. the most recent one, which was around the political declaration, Mm. so the the withdrawal agreement and then had the political declaration. And within that, they talked about the desire for there to be as efficient as trading as possible. What does this mean, uh, Anthony? It's a question in some ways for the UK is does it wish to seek to apply to be part of the internal energy market as a, if there is a no-deal Brexit, Mm. then do they want to do a special sector deal for the connected industries, as it were? Because Mm. there will be issues around data, Mm. issues about airlines, issues Mm. about electricity and gas, which are networked industries. Mm. So we want to continue to move these things around, and it's for the benefit of everyone. Mm. But under what rules and under what jurisdictions do those comply to? And so it may well be that we have to have a special deal around mm. electricity and gas trading, mm. which will, as I said, probably involve the UK having a to accept the rules under the Europe, potentially even the European Court of Justice, mm. for these particular sectors. Yeah, that's not what, good. what impact would that then have on the on the wholesale market? I mean, what, you, you have a no deal Brexit, then, and, and so all this has got to be renegotiated, basically. What would be the impact, do you think, on the flow of power across Europe? I mean, I think it's still going to happen. Uh, I mean, and I think there are, prior to sort of the end of March, there was the countries where you had interconnectors, like the Netherlands, were changing domestic legislation to enable them to continue to trade electricity because they would be then trading with it with a non member state. So they were preparing for a no deal agreement. And so, in that way, certain things are were put in place beforehand and and they will still apply should we leave with the no deal in October. I think it's, in some ways, the question is more going forward as things integrate more, then where does the UK continue to to be engaged within that? And I guess probably the worst case scenario is that trading becomes less efficient because you're no longer able to do, or you're not able to trade at such a flexible way, therefore the value of the interconnectors goes down because you can't capitalise on... Market different, prices different.
0: The arbitrage, yeah. Yes, you can't
1: yeah. rely on that because you can't capture it on the short term. So, therefore, the economics of it, interconnectors is less viable. And so, given the fact that the UK has sort of four or five gigawatts, it has four gigawatts under capacity, another which is being commissioned. Mm. But the idea was that they would then build maybe up to another 10 gigawatts. Mm. So, there's various Norwegian ones that are being proposed, there's Danish, there's more to France, Netherlands, even to Iceland. Mm. If the economic value that they are, that they can, can, the revenues that they can raise are less, then maybe they're less likely to be built. And mm. so if we think the idea behind the move towards a more flexible power sector mm. is important to decarbonize and you can't have the interconnectors operating in the most flexible way, then that I think is to the detrimental of the system as a whole not just in terms of the operation of the interconnectors.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, some of these inter- interconnectors are already being built, like the one from, from Norway. Uh, maybe they initially they were built under the assumption that there would not be a Brexit or, and that the UK would be part of the internal energy market. Now that's changing. But I'm just wondering, Anthony, in terms of the flows, the power and gas, are we likely to see the imposition of tariffs on imports and potentially exports yeah. as well of energy?
1: I don't think it's a tariff issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think in terms of electricity under WTO rules, electricity doesn't have any. Okay. And gas is like 0.7%. So it's not a significant... It's the non-tariff barriers that are much more important than the tariffs. Okay,
0: that's quite unlikely. So, Anthony, you mentioned about the UK potentially not being part of Enso-G under a hard Brexit. How about the access to... You know, other regional initiatives in Europe and as well as um, funding from
1: the European Investment Bank. There's a wide range of different funding that the UK currently gets for the, for the energy sector. So structural funds is, is obviously in, in certain parts of the UK is, is quite significant. Mm. Research and development, both of which are grants. But then mm. there's the European Investment Bank, which has been a significant funder of UK infrastructure, including energy over the last decades. Mm. We know, I mean, you can see in in terms of the projects that are commissioned, so the EIB does fund to non-member states, Mm. but 80% of its funding goes to member states. Um, And already you've seen basically a a significant shift in terms of new projects and the level of funding. So before the deal, you saw in the the billions of projects that were funded in the UK, and that's fallen to hundreds of millions. So Mm. it's sort of a order of magnitude sort of difference per year in terms of projects. So it's already so having an effect. Yeah, yeah because so projects yeah, are just yeah. not being taken forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting th- things like there's the Connecting Europe facility, mm. which is designed to develop interconnectors. Mm. And the UK is still getting... I mean, these are small funding. Mm. These are sort of tens of millions project development finance. Mm. But because they are obviously connecting to other member states, mm. then they're still, can be a, mm. they're still applied. Mm. So there is still some money, but it's... Yeah, it's significantly reduced. So Mm -hmm. I think from a financial perspective, it's going to be very interesting. And in terms of research and development, then the government has pledged to match the European uh, levels of European funding through until 2020. But that's Mm -hmm. yes, very short term. Yeah, yeah, Um, Yeah. And so the question sort of will be for the UK: will it buy into research and development, the EU's framework programme. Mm-hmm. So the next round starts in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's possible for non-member states to be part of it, mm-hmm. but you put in what you get. So, yeah. What about Hinkley Point and the state aid yeah. question? What what, it, what will be the impact? What could be the impact on the state aid case or the state aid that's agreed for Hinkley yeah. for the nuclear power plant that's been built in South West
0: England? Or potentially the next round the next of it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would argue that it's potentially more problematic for the UK outside of the EU on state aid rules than in it, which is might be go against. Mm, interesting. Yeah. My logic being that many of these are really political decisions. Mm. And so what happens is a government says we want to do this. And there's lots of lobbying that goes on. Mm. And there's so there's political influence, even though it's the European court, I would argue that it's political. And so the UK, if you, you would argue for Hinkley wasn't a bad deal that they got through, £92 a megawatt, hour, index linked. I mean, everyone now is looking at that and going, mm, that's a bit generous. Yeah, yeah, So they got what they wanted in order to get it through. Mm. Outside of the EU, if we want to be part of the internal energy market, then we're going to have to apply by the same rules. Mm. And the parliament has, time and time again, has said that's about environmental protection, it's about market rules, etc., etc. But we will have less political influence. Mm. So maybe when we come round to future reactors they will have to comply by state aid rules but be less influential within the decision making Okay. but if, if we see what's happened to date mm. the UK government has on terms of the energy sector got what it wanted the, the, Brussels hasn't been an in, impediment to giving the the industry the support structures that it wanted
0: to. Some would even argue that it's been fairly weak in terms of state aid more generally uh, it's very rarely laid down. Yeah the there's lawyer. not many
1: cases where yeah, no. where they've said no there's mm-hmm. been some where you might have to adjust things. Exactly. But as I said in in terms of the current view really of what Hinkley was outside of EDF and Bayes, there's nobody who thinks that this is a really good deal for mm. the for, for the consumer. Bayes being the, the, the ministry, basically yeah. the department for energy. Yeah. yeah. So, and and other people, even the nuclear industry themselves, look at this and actually go, this isn't a good thing. Mm. Because in some ways, what's happened with the future reactor, so the Hitachi mm. and the Toshiba reactor, in, in particular in the case of Hitachi, they were probably looking for a contract for a difference of around £92 a megawatt hour. Becomes the benchmark. Mm. And the government's basically saying, no, we're not Mm. doing that again. We realise that was too high. Mm. And so that has created problems and and they've walked away. So Mm. it's obviously not that simple. But Mm -hmm. I I don't think that it was a a good deal for anyone in terms of the strike price that's so high.
0: Absolutely. In terms of the internal engine market, I mean, that's the key question, in or out. If you're in, do you then have to abide by or be under the European Court of Justice? That would be part of being you know, in terms of the IEM?
1: There may be, you could look to the EA countries Mm. that are part of the internal energy market. They have their own, so European Economic Area countries, Mm. so like Mm. Norway, Liechtenstein. uh, And Iceland. And Iceland, so they have their own arbitration system. But, so there is the... F F the the
0: supervisory board. Exactly, so so they
1: have Mm. an opportunity to have a a slightly different system, Mm. but of course it's linked and the Swiss have a, a bilateral agreement. Mm. So there'll have to be some sort of legal framework mm. in some ways, but the obvious one for the UK in some ways is the European Court of Justice mm. or, or some variation of that because mm. a, it's a known system. But mm. the, yeah, there has to be some arbitration and mm. then we'll have to see what that is.
0: In the case of Ireland, I think that's quite an interesting example. I mean, the the single Irish market was, was launched uh, last year what would Brexit do to this? I mean, um, you know, would you have to look at a, a completely different regulatory uh, oversight or another kind of regime? What do you see happening
1: here? I mean, again, I, th- I think it's a question of the governance structure. As you said, there is mm. a joint regulatory body from North and Southern Ireland that oversees the operation of the market, mm. and that operates under European rules. Mm. So the options open to them are either you continue that market, and there's a, there's an allowance that. Northern Ireland continues to apply to the internal energy market rules, mm. or they have to have some special agreement with the commission that enables them to continue not applying by it, but stay part of the market. So, mm. again, it's not really clear mm. how this is going to be resolved, except in some ways it is the problems that the rest of the UK faces mm. with the continental market, mm. but at a much more detailed level because mm. the integration of the systems is so much more and so yeah it's a problem and i think in particular probably going forward with the governance systems mm. it's much more of a challenge yeah
0: and i mean if you know return to what you said previously it's more inefficiencies and, and costs would, would probably rise yeah, yeah so yeah. nobody
1: nobody is saying that they want to undo Well, mm. not many people are saying they want to <laughs> undo the mm. ism they want to continue that process mm. and she said it, it's been launched very recently so yeah, it, it remains a problem that people recognise that the Irish question is, mm. is fundamental to the future mm. and therefore the electricity and the, the sort of ICM hasn't really been top of the political agenda, but mm. there's lots of people who are closely following this and aware that it is a problem. If, if you turn it around, Anthony, and, and look at, you know, the UK has been
0: quite a driver within Europe to look at, you know, to focus more on, on, on market-based uh, policy. Do you, how do you see Europe evolving without that influence from the UK? Will we see a Europe that, Europe that becomes more interventionist or, you know, what, what, what's the impact there the other way around?
1: Yeah, no, so it's, it's a very important question. And I think there's within the energy sector, there's a couple of areas that are obviously most obvious initially. I think one probably is climate change. So the UK has been a strong promoter of ambitious climate change targets within the EU. In terms of EU legislation, it has to go through a number of steps. Mm. So you have the parliament, where the UK obviously has representation, it has 60 or 70 MEPs out of the, the five or 600. Mm. But it's within the council, the European Council, which is made up of a, a rep- each member state. But on some issues, it's one state, one vote. But on other issues, it's under qualified majority, mm. whereby the the importance of a country is based on its population. Mm. So the UK has a larger population, has, has a larger share, say than Luxembourg or, or Belgium. Mm. Uh, and so it's coming out of that discussion or no longer being part of that ha- has a, a more of a significant impact, I would argue, than say it no longer being in the European Parliament mm-hmm. because of the, the, the weight. But on climate, yeah, we will potentially as a, a strong voice many countries coalesced around the UK. Mm. So it's interesting. We, we talked to, so, for example, some of the people in Sweden mm. who were saying, well, they really notice or have started to think about this as an issue mm. because yeah. before, yeah, they, they would rely on the UK and then they could take the UK's position and they would support the UK. Mm. So who will now be that champion mm. that other people will coalesce around?
0: That's very interesting. So it yeah, is interesting. Very interesting, yeah. yeah. But the yeah. other
1: interesting thing, which, as an aside, you may not, mm. is... They talked about language, is the importance of the English language will change. So for example, for the Swedish diplomats, English is obviously really important. They'll have to learn French, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Because Quelle yeah. more <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah.
0: So, or German yeah. Or, yeah, the, yeah. The,
1: in terms of the negotiation language, <clears throat> a lot of it is done in English. <clears throat> but that may be over time that may change because the language skills of the people that are coming in it's it's less important. Obviously mm. Irish, you so, saw mm. but it's just in terms of the Interesting mm. elements that you don't really think about initially mm. that may have a knock on it. Oh, that, that, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. I think on in terms of climate change, it's quite important. Mm. But also nuclear is probably, I think, from a numbers perspective, is is the most mm. dramatic. Because the UK, in some ways, nuclear is more black and white. Mm. I mean, it's not. But you, you have countries that have nuclear and countries that don't have nuclear. Mm. And the way that they vote within the council is, is largely dependent on that. Mm. And if you look at the the change in the, in the voting patterns, it may make a difference. The UK being out in terms of mm. whether or not the, the strongly pro nuclear countries will be able to push things through. Mm. I mean, it, again, it it's never that simple. But but, but but nuclear was a, I mean, UK is a champion of nuclear. Exactly. So
0: it's, so for, it's going for, to boost the uh, the case of renewables are you saying? Well, or...
1: I think it will probably reduce the within the council at least. And the nuclear industry have referred to this, it will make it less likely that strongly pro-nuclear mm. legislation will be passed through the council. Uh, does that need, lead to more support for renewables? I don't know. But anyway, it's mm. it's just interesting as, mm. as a thought that, that it It's losing me... an
0: influential voice yeah. in the, the, the nuclear lobbyists. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So and yeah, in other areas, the the UK has been seen as a bit of a balancer between mm the French and German axis, really. And Mm. I think across lots of different sectors, people have thought that this may be an issue, is Mm. that they maybe the the, the sort of becomes much more controlled by the French and Germans going forward.
0: Do you think anything good or, you know, will come of Brexit? What are the opportunities for the energy sector?
1: And we've talked mainly about the negative impacts. I
0: mean, uh, you know, some people must be thinking "Mm, there's an opportunity for... Maybe cross-border trading here or, I don't know, importing more LNG from certain areas? I mean, what's your opinion?
1: Firstly, I think there doesn't have to be an upside from Mm. an energy perspective. It wasn't like the referendum was voted on because of energy. Mm. Mm. So I I would argue that it wasn't really part of the the discourse. So, Mm. but there are obviously things that change. It's not all going to be negative. But I, I think that the positive things might be the development for the UK, at least, of more regional approaches mm. and I think it might be that in particular with Norway I think the relationship with Norway will be very important both from a electricity trade perspective going forward but also in terms of uh, dependence on fossil fuel production offshore wind all of these other areas so there's the North Sea grid initiative which has developed under the EU but the UK may Mm. it's like to continue to be engaged within that and I think developing a grid initiative and a gas initiative that includes Ireland UK, Norway maybe Germany mm. etc to have a, a strong offshore development would be very positive. I think mm. that there's other areas and one of the questions that we've raised in the past is there is the, the UK at one side in some ways looking to leave the EU there's also countries that are looking to enter the EU. So through the energy community, uh, European energy community, there is, they're complying with their acquis. Mm. So they're changing mm. their rules in order to meet the EU's AQI. Well, uh, sorry, the body of legislation, the okay, European okay. body of legislation. So although there are different ends in some mm. ways of the, of the EU, will the UK seek to work in some ways with other neighbourhood countries mm. in a positive way? Because I, I would argue that what we're seeing is is a more integrated EU from an energy and from a climate perspective but that shouldn't just be restricted to the member states, it Mm. it is a continental issue Mm. and as you're moving electricity to Ukraine Mm. Baltic states Turkey etc, then having in the same way that we've talked about in terms of the interconnectors, having a a more harmonised market across a wider continent Mm. is to the advantage of everyone Mm. so whether or not the UK plays a role within that, Mm. I think or yeah. I would argue that it probably should play a role.
0: I mean, Anthony, we could go on, I think, for hours. And I feel we've we've only really scratched the surface, really, of, of all matters Brexit. But thank you very much for joining the Montel podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, I hope we can chat again, uh, maybe after Brexit and follow up. Um, so thank you, Anthony. Please follow all the latest developments on, on Montelnews.com uh, and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We're back next week. Thank all you right. and goodbye. Thank you.